tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. Has any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church? That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, happy Mardi Gras. That's, that means Fat Tuesday. It's not our word for the day. But, oh, for some Aww. of us, every day is a fat day. But I don't want, we'll talk about that later. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I think we should probably just go straight to the big book on the coffee table. But why not? The Bible. I want to go right to the gospel before we do the first reading, because the first reading kind of has stuff in it that, well, is in the gospel. Jesus and his disciples left there and began a journey through Galilee, but he did not wish anyone to know about it. He was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be handed over and they will kill him. And after three days uh, after his death, the Son of Man will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to question him. This is, this is interesting. They were afraid to question him. What, what was he? Well, I, I, I don't have this figured out. Why were they afraid to question him? I suppose they were kind of awed by their rabbi and didn't want to look stupid in front of him. But I think that maybe they were afraid to question him because, well, they didn't want to hear what he was saying. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you don't want to hear what God is saying. You know, don't, don't tell me. I don't want to know. But we say that to the Lord. Uh, this is, if I understand the moral principle that's called vincible ignorance. You know, there's something called invincible ignorance, which is one of my favorite theological categories. You explain to someone why something is wrong and they say, I don't get it. And then you explain it again. I still don't get it. They, they might be unable to understand that and they're not culpable. However, if someone's trying to explain to you or you're studying something and it occurs to you that what you're doing is a sin, and you say, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to. That's vincible ignorance. In other words, conquerable innocence. And you're morally responsible for that. Well, I think the disciples were indulging in a little bit of conquerable or vincible ignorance. They didn't want to hear the bad news. You know, that's always amazing to me about Christ. He is one person who is never going to lie to you. He always tells you the truth, even the bad parts. The devil's a liar, the father of lies, and he loves to tell you a nice story and it's all going to be fine. Well, you can trust the Lord is never going to lie to you. So he's telling them it's not going to end the way they think it's going to end. <clears throat> and 
I think they might have been saying, "We don't, we don't want to, we don't want to hear it, Lord." They were afraid to question him, not because he would be angry with them, or or they would maybe maybe because they would look bad, but I think mostly because they didn't want to know uh, what was really going on. Then they came to compare them, and once inside the house, which is this is interesting in itself. Once inside the house, there is actually a church in Capernaum which is built over a first century house, and the theory is, and it probably is pretty good theory, pretty pretty real archaeology, that this was the house of Peter, which was transformed into a, one of the earliest Christian places of worship. And it's really fascinating because they have a, a church built over it that has a glass floor. When you say Mass there, you look down into the actual house of Peter, where Jesus probably stayed. There was one very special room. It's clear that this was a a room that had been set aside. It might have been where Jesus stayed when, when he was in town. So they went, say that again? <laughs> the voice in my head is saying odd things here about sleep numbers. No, I don't think so. He probably just, I don't know what they slept on. They they didn't, I bet straw. I have no idea. Straw mattresses. I don't know either. I, well, incidental. They came to compare him. Once inside the house, he began to ask them, what were you arguing about along the way? And they remained silent, for they'd been discussing among themselves on the way who was the greatest. He's saying, I'm going to get killed, and they're worrying about who's who's the most important of the disciples. There was such a disconnect between what was really going on and what the disciples thought was going on, and that certainly is true in my life. So, well, they were discussing who was the greatest, and then he sat down and called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wishes to be first, he shall be last, and the servant of all, the slave of all. Taking a child, he placed it in their midst and putting his arms around it, he said to them, whoever receives one such child as this in my name. And by the way, that word it, it sounds a little odd. We think of a child as a he or she. In Greek, (laughs) children were neuter. Whoever receives one such child as this in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but the one who sent me. This this verse, I think, is is huge. And in a way, I think it's a commentary. Uh, it can be used as a commentary. I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us in it about artificial birth control. Uh, the the uh, um, in Spanish, uh, the phrase to use artificial birth control is evitar niños to, to avoid children, which sounds harmless in English, but it's it's more than that. So uh, this idea of of not receiving a child. You know, I look at our culture, and we have said, you know, we don't we don't want children. Well, one or two, just you know, for the experience, and you know, and to hope, you know, you got to have some kids to visit you when you're old. But you know, this idea, this Catholic idea, that you take what the Lord gives, that's not very popular. In fact, as people think, it's irresponsible, and it's very interesting that. People are still getting kind of the, the 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 bill of the bill of goods that that there are too many people in the world, and we're about to experience a population shift that is very dangerous. You look at, you know, you heard it here first. I, I remember years ago hearing this from from some great, uh, uh, what do they call the field? Uh, population specialists. Well, I'll call them population specialists, demographers. I think that's the word. The, these demographers were pointing out that, well, we're in trouble in terms of, of populations being about to decline. 
And it's really happening, and it, it will be very destabilizing. We have plenty of people on the planet, just not many young people. And um, uh, everywhere but uh, um, sub-Saharan Africa, including uh, the Arab states, has drastically reduced its population, uh, its, its total fertility rate. And we're about to suffer the consequences of it. Um, you can't have an economy unless you have young people. Us old people, we got plenty of stuff. We don't have to buy new stuff. Young people, there we keep an economy going. Um, we see it in, in Japan, I guess. You actually see um, the situation that uh, people, their squad, there are government uh, squads that go around uh, if somebody hasn't been heard from a long time in these towns where there are no children. Um, they go around and see if they're dead, and if they are, they're in charge of cleaning up what's left. It's it's kind of grisly. I hate to to mention that, but it's real. And uh, Italy, for instance, it's estimated that in about 400 years at the current rate, there will be no Italians, which I think is a great loss to the world because, boy, I like Italian food. Que pegato. Uh, <laughs> Questo vivo. <laughs> was that live? Yeah, that was Questo live. Vivo. Uh, the voice in my head is half Italian. <laughs> so, And the other half is, well, tall. So moving along, the tallest Italian I've ever known. Well, moving along, this is a very important idea. Uh, we look at the world and we say, oh, all these things are, 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 are collapsing. The world is in, is, in, is in such trouble. Lord, where are you? <laughs> the Lord's saying, well, you told me to go away. What? I, we never told you to go away. Yes, you did. Whoever receives one child such as this in my name receives me. Whoever receives me, said Jesus, receives not me but the one who sent me. By refusing to cooperate with the gift of life, um, we have said to God, we don't want you. We don't want you what you have to give. We don't want you. Don't call us. We'll call you. Where is the Lord in all of this? He's there, but we have to call on him. And we have to call on him with sincerity and with trust. And, uh, you know, this, this, you know, I... I I'm the youngest of seven, and uh, my parents were devout. And uh, uh, my father worked very hard. Uh, we were not well-to-do people because seven kids, uh, that'll soak up the money. But uh, <clears throat> my mother would announce to my father, I'm expecting a child, and he'd say, what are we going to do? My father had was the father of seven children. He got seven pay raises <laughs> in his working life, one at the time of the birth of each child. The Lord took care of him. I was the youngest of seven. And my, my father worked with, with Jewish people, and of course they had no objections to artificial birth control. And I remember my mother would tell the story about uh, she'd be at an investment club. My dad was the only Gentile in his investment club, and he was the treasurer. He was good at that stuff. Well, the women would be in the kitchen, the kids would be in the basement, and the men would be in the front room trying to figure out where to put what stocks to buy in. And they would say to my mother, Mrs. Simon, seven children. There were things you could have done. And she would say, which one do you want me to send back? And I always thought I would have been the one. I was, I was the surprise. They thought that was over, six kids. And along came the seventh, me. And I, you know, I was, my sister lived near my mother. And I lived in Chicago, not too far from mom. And I was the one who on my day off, I'd do her shopping when she was old. Um, and, and my sister would, would do that kind of thing. You know, if this show and what I have to say is of any benefit to you, 
say a prayer for my, my mom and dad uh, and the repose of their souls because it was their bravery that made it possible for me to be a priest. It was their bravery that my mother was pregnant in in her 40s, which is considered a little dangerous, especially at that time. Um, their bravery gave me life. And so anything I might give you is not to my credit but to theirs and to the grace of God. So um, you just – the gift of life is everything. And, you know – we think that we can control things, and you can't. You know, you have two kids or 1.8 children or whatever. You never know what's going to happen with them. You can't, you can't control it. And the Catholic attitude toward this is we're going to trust God. Well, that's just crazy. <laughs> well, we'll get to the first reading eventually. I want to talk a little bit more about this, this child business. <clears throat> we always think— that lines like, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That's because children are innocent and sweet. If you're a parent, you know children are not innocent or sweet. They're just small, thank God. Um, I remember I was at a family gathering, and all of my little cousins were playing on the lawn, and I was sitting there reading the Bible, and I, I came on that passage, uh, uh, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And I thought, oh, Lord, thank you for this wonderful example of the the sweetness and innocence of children, at which point one of my little cousins picked up a, a plastic fire truck and and just clobbered another of the cousins on the head with it. And I thought, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? Children are not innocent. They're dependent. This idea of being a child of God, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You know, I'm always telling you, kingdom of God means the royal inheritance, the royal nature. You cannot enter into God's royal nature unless you are like a child. That's because it's inherited. It's a gift. When God adopts you, you become his heir. And this is a gift from God, this royal nature. Now, you can say no to God's gift, or you can cooperate with God's gift. Uh, we still have freedom. But this, this innocence that we sometimes ascribe to children, anybody who's a parent knows that children are hardly innocent. They can be really sneaky. And uh, uh, one of my earliest experiences, one of my earliest memories was my grandmother's funeral at which um, I was so awful. I was just like two going on three or just had turned three. I was little. I can remember it clearly. And I was so rotten the first night of the wake that they weren't going to take me to the second. When I realized I was being left behind, I was going to make them pay. I can remember the emotion of my poor mother looking through the glass uh, window in the door, just her poor little baby was howling and crying. I was going to make them pay. Children are not innocent. <clears throat> every, every kid you meet is an original sinner. And But the thing is that children are dependent. And when you realize your absolute dependence on God and that you're not in control of your life, that, that God is the one who is in control well, then you've made a step forward to, to this, this understanding, which is part of entering God's royal nature. Let's go to the first reading just briefly. <clears throat> in, in go, for in fire, gold and silver are tested, and worthy people in the crucible of humiliation. Trust God and he will help you. Trust in him and he will direct your way. Keep his fear and grow old therein. You who fear the Lord, wait for his mercy. And then let's jump down a little bit. Uh, um, uh, that that uh, Has anyone hoped in the Lord and been disappointed? 
Oh, I think so, but they're not really hoping in the Lord. They're hoping the Lord will give them what they planned. You really leave yourself open to God and and what he gives you instead of, you know, I always tell people when I go and, uh, you know, I, when I go to pray, I say, I'm going to go down and give God some suggestions. God has never once taken any of my suggestions. Um, he's never asked for my advice. You see, God has so much for you. And if you say, Lord, I'd like this, I'd like that, but whatever you think, you know, whatever's best. If you really come to that attitude, then you won't be disappointed if you're hoping in the Lord and not in your own expectations. Has anyone persevered in his commandments and been forsaken? Compassionate and merciful is the Lord. He forgives sin. He saves in time of trouble. He's a protector to all who seek him. So understand that that to be a little child is to trust in the love of your Heavenly Father. You know, it's amazing to me how kids will trust uh, their parents, even sometimes when they shouldn't. Um, you know, you, you say, we're going somewhere. You hold out the coat. The kid puts up one arm, puts up the other arm. You know, this is just life. That when you're, when you're, uh, when you're a little child, your parents do the planning, and you just go with the flow. Sometimes you have a tantrum, but ultimately you go with, you go with what they, they, they tell you we're going to do. Unless you become like a little child, you know, that, that uh, this, is, this is what God wants, that we should, should be, well, we should be as innocent and sinless as we can be, but above all, we should trust God when he directs our life. Instead of telling God what he's supposed to do, let God tell you, what you are supposed to do. All right, with that thought, we're going to go to a break. We will come back with letters, and we're going to open the phones at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas provides a rigorous liberal arts education that forms the whole person for wisdom, truth, and virtue. Learn more about The Catholic University for Independent Thinkers at RelevantRadio.com forward slash UDallas. Now when the saints marching in Oh, I was watching film of a mass in Germany with all of the celebrants dressed in clown clothes singing the German version of this. Oh, it's a lovely song. Just, I don't know that it's really liturgically appropriate. But moving along, 888-914-9149, to ask any question you may have about the Lord, the Faith, the Church. And the big book on the coffee table, the Bible. Let us go to letters, though. Okay, let's see here. Oh, the ma, there's my mouse. I found my mouse. Okay, I'm clicking on my screen. And, of course, um... Oh, bother. <laughs> you know, I should admit that I need glasses. I never, I never remember to bring my glasses when I'm in the studio. All right. The... Uh, this is from, uh, oh, good grief. I think it's Becca. Uh, this verse was part of the morning offering uh, at least a week ago, and it's been banging around in my head ever since, Galatians 4.10. But what does the scripture say? 
drive the slave and her child out, the child of uh, the child of the slave will not share in the inheritance with the child of the free woman. So then, friends, we are children not of the slave but of the free woman. Could this be Mary, born immaculate, and that she was literally a free woman? Well, I I think it will bear that interpretation, but that's not really what it's about. Uh, do you know the his, any historical writings on this verse and Mary's uh, sinlessness? I I've never heard that comparison made. The verse is is uh, about the the relationship of the law and the spirit. That um, <clears throat> remember when when we when we talk about law when we're when we're dealing with things religious we're talking about the Torah, which is word really means instruction. When you and I think of law, we think of stop signs and court proceedings and uh, um, different rules that are set up by human beings for a well-ordered society. That's not what when, – when the scripture talks about law, they're talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. In Hebrew, called the Torah. The Greeks called it the Pentateuch. So that's what we're talking about. And there are 613 commandments. Things like uh, you shouldn't eat uh, unclean food, among which is pork and osprey and camel. And I, I have no appetite for camel. Trust me, they bite. But um, there are three kinds of rules in the law. There are moral rules that are the Ten Commandments and the um, uh, the different restatements of the of those commandments in the first five books of the Bible. And I always say that of the 613, we follow 10 because those 10 reflect the very nature of God, such as uh, thou shalt not bear false witness, God is truth. Thou shalt not commit adultery, God is faithfulness, that sort of thing. The The very nature of God is embodied in those moral rules, and the, the pinnacle of human nature is, is involved in those rules. Thou shalt not steal, I wouldn't want to be stolen from, so I shouldn't steal, that sort of thing. So that's how it works. Ten Commandments moral laws. Then you've got the liturgical laws, which we believe were fulfilled in the Messiah. And when the temple was destroyed, those liturgical laws that governed Jewish worship no longer applied. They were fulfilled in Christ and in the Last Supper and the sacrifice of Calvary. And then you've got this whole bunch of laws called the Chukim. That's uh, with the U-K-I-M. Chukim. And those are laws that appear to make no sense, such as you shall not have in the same garment uh, uh, animal and vegetable fibers. You would never put cotton and wool in the same garment. Why? Because God said so. Those are the chukim. And they were, I suspect, given by God to keep Israel separate from the nations around it, which practiced horrible things like child sacrifice. It was to create a people who knew how to obey God and understood that that morality was integral to true religion. All right, so those are the law. Paul made the point that non-Jews, non-Israelites, Greeks they were called, in other words, people from the, the Hellenic culture, the Hellenistic culture that had spread through the Mediterranean, that they could be part of the church without following those 613 commandments. And there were all sorts of people in the Christian community who said, nonsense, you can't be a follower of Christ unless you follow the law of Moses. Um, and Paul said, no, we're, we're free. Jesus said we didn't have to do that anymore. And uh, 
this whole discussion of the, the free woman and the slave woman goes back to the book of Genesis. Abraham was promised by God that he would have a son. And <clears throat> Sarah was past the time of conceiving a child, and she had been unable to conceive a child. And so she made the suggestion to Abraham, why do you not take my servant woman, my slave, Hagar, Hagar, and have a child with her, and I will adopt that child. And Abraham <laughs> said, okay. So um, God had said, no, it's going to be your freeborn, your, your, your legitimate freeborn son uh, who will follow after you. And Abraham just didn't have the faith. He didn't believe it could happen. So Hagar conceived a son called Ishmael. And uh, there came a point where three strangers came to visit Abraham and said, Sarah, your wife will conceive. And she laughed. <laughs> and she thought that was ridiculous. Well, they said, we're coming back in a year. Uh, I think they said that we're coming back in a year. They said, a year from now, you will have a child. And she did. And this son of the slave girl became odious to Sarah. And Sarah forced Abraham to send this son away. Uh, and um, it's one of the hardest passages in Scripture. You know, to me, the, the Old Testament is, 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 I really believe these are historical stories because every, every nationality portrays its mythical heroes in a wonderful light. The Bible doesn't do that. It tells you Abraham was weak and sinful. He was chosen by God, but he did some despicable things, and this was one of them that he, he allowed his wife to exile her rival. And it looked like they were going to die, die until God took pity on them. And, and uh, um, Ishmael was the father of the 12 tribes of Arabs, according to that uh, history, that view of things. So, you know, well, if, if Abraham, someone like that could have a concubine, and well, why can't we now? Look how well it worked out for Abraham. The Middle East is still at war between the sons of of Isaac and the sons, you know, the, the twelve tribes of Israel, who are the grandchildren of Isaac. Uh, the the descendants of Isaac are still at war with the descendants of Ishmael, and you know, there's all sorts of stuff in the Bible that we shouldn't do, and that's the point of it. See how that worked out for them? Didn't work out at all. Now, I hope I haven't gotten the story all balled up. There are so many similar stories in the scriptures because we seem to repeat our same stupid mistakes. However, to me, this story of, of Abraham being bullied into sending away his a son whom he loved, Ishmael, uh, by a jealous wife, to me that, that smacks of truth. That's the kind of thing that we human beings and our sinful and fallen natures do. Well, St. Paul is using this as a symbol, that there are the children of the covenant, Israel, and the children of a woman who was compelled to give herself to Abraham because of her situation as a slave. And he's comparing this, that, that the law is a kind of, uh, the, the law of Moses is a kind of uh, restriction, whereas the new covenant does away with those restrictions that we might bring God's love to the whole world. So that's the comparison. And he's saying this because as a kind of 
Talmudic or rabbinic uh, explanation of why Gentiles can uh, uh, be fully Christian without following the law. It's a very complicated explanation for a simple question, but that's what it refers to. Now, I don't think that this is uh, part of the Immaculate Conception, though I think that that um, uh, reference is interesting. I'm going to have to think about that. That that Mary was ultimately the free woman because she was uh, uh, conceived without sin, and as I always say, she accepted her Immaculate Conception. Our Blessed Mother was the third person in history conceived without sin. Adam and Eve, albeit conceived in the mind of God, were conceived without the effects of original sin. They said no to their their Immaculate Conceptions and fell from grace. Our Blessed Mother said yes, and in great suffering and in great pain, she maintained her freedom. So I think that is interesting. I want to have to give it some thought. Complicated thing, but that's the story of of, uh, of Sarah and Hagar. All right. Whew. That, that's a complicated thing. Let me go to, I think, let me look at the time. You know, yeah, I think we can go to one more letter. Um, this one, I think, shouldn't be that complicated. Okay. Pl- <laughs> the voice of just said famous last words. Please explain korban as used in the reading from Mark. The reading that I, that this is from Anne, she's referring to is, a child says, you set aside the commandments of God for your tradition. If a child says any to his parents, anything that you would have for me is korban, uh, well, korban is the Aramaic word, and was the common word for sacrifice. I think it's also Hebrew, but I know it's Aramaic. In fact, is Assyrian Christians call the holy sacrifice of the mass the korban, the sacrifice. It's the general word for sacrifice. So if you had a fight with your parents and said, I swear that anything I would have given you is automatically korban, in other words, automatically dedicated to the temple or to sacrifice, if the, the Pharisees said, well, if you calm down and you no longer hate your parents and you're on good speaking terms with them, and they say, son, we got to pay the electric bill. Can you, can you give us 100 bucks?" I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. Anything I would give you, I have to give to the temple. So I can't give you any money because I swore a solemn oath that anything I might give you, I have to give to the temple. In other words, you set aside the commandment of God, Jesus said, for your tradition that that was the rabbinic interpretation of, of, of an oath. And it set aside the commandment that you should honor your father and your mother. Um, it was crazy. It was nuts. But that's, that's the whole deal with it. So that's what that passage means. So I hope that helps a little. Uh, um, it was a kind of rabbinic dodge to, to get you um, uh, off the hook for helping your parents, which is terrible. All right, let's move along. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with a word of the day, and we will go to phone calls at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149 for more obscurity. Battling addictions? Our sponsor, St. Gregory Recovery Center, can help you or a loved one live a substance-free life. 
Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. Father Simon Says. What a way to make a living insulting people. I'm kidding. On Relevant Radio. Well, I've never been so insulted in my life. Well, it's earlier. Swing low, sweet chariot, coming far to carry me I've never been so insulted in my life. Nah, it's early yet. All right. All right. Let's move on to the word of the day. The word of the day is Lent. <laughs> Have you ever thought where that word comes from? Every other language, not every other language, but most languages, it's some variation on 40. What, what is it, dear voice in my head in Italian? What, what's the word for Lent? Quadragesima or something? No, that's a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, in in Spanish, it's cuaresma. Uh, um, it, it, they're all variations on the word for 40 because there's sort of 40 days of fasting. People always get, I mean 40 days. It's more than 40 days. Well, there's a school of thought, and I don't want to be controversial, but there's a school of thought that says you don't fast on Sundays. Every Sunday, cuaresma, cuaresma in Italian, cuaresma in Spanish and all these other languages. In Lent, it's fastensite, which means fasting time. These all make sense. But uh, the school of thought, one school of thought is you don't fast on Sundays. I'm not getting into that. It's up to you. But, uh, um, and tomorrow I'm going to talk about fasting in in general. But uh, in English, we have Lent. Where do we get Lent from? Well, it's an old way of saying length, the lengthening of the days, the lengthening of the days. It's just, that's what it means. The days are getting longer, and uh, especially if you fast. They do seem to get longer if you fast, but that's neither here nor there. All right, let's go to the phones. Hello? You talk. I'll listen. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Let's go to Frank from Philadelphia. Frank, what can I do for you? Hi, Father Simon. Of course, um, is there a patron saint I can pray to? Um, for my situations, I have um, a lot of medical problems where there's no cure, there's no treatment for them. Is there a patron saint for something like that? Well, the general patron saint uh, is, is uh, for that sort of thing, I believe is St. Rocco or St. Roque in, in French. He, was a, uh, he had ulcerated sores and was a poor man and, and uh, offered it up and became a great saint. Uh, uh, <laughs> this will sound a little awful. He's actually... Pictured in art with the dogs licking his sores. It's a little grisly. But San Rock, uh, or Rocco, St. Rocco, you can look him up, and and um, uh, he's thought of as one of the, the saints for people who have cancer, but in general medical issues. Uh, uh, that's the second saint I would suggest, St. Rocco. Does that help? Father? Yes. Yeah. Um, if I may, real quick, on Saturday just passed, a Temple University police officer named Christopher... The um, I forget the name right now of Fitzgerald. Sorry, Christopher Fitzgerald. He was killed in line of duty. First Temple University police officer killed in line of duty. He's married or was yeah. married, like Marissa, and four kids, ages seven to fourteen. For your listening audience, please say a prayer for the family yeah. and himself. Yeah, we should. I just saw that on the news too. It's it, very sad. Uh, um, you know that these are hard times. For, I think we should keep all of the policemen that we know in prayer. It's a very difficult job. And it's very hard not to get um, bitter when you're a policeman. I had a dear friend who was a deacon, a policeman, 
Uh, but before he, he was just a rough guy until his religious conversion, and then he began to see people where God saw them. So we need to keep police in prayer because, you know, life life would be difficult without them. Uh, so, well, thanks for calling in, and we will certainly keep him in prayer. Let's go to Claire from Mission, Texas. Well, what can I do for you, Claire? Uh, Father, I was reading the psalm today, and it's Psalm 37, and verse 18 had the word wholeheartedly in a way that it didn't make sense to me, and I was curious as to what it might be in the uh, actual Hebrew. Okay, well, what, I, what verse are we talking about? I think it's verse 18. Psalm, let me see here, Psalm 37, verse 18, right? Psalm 37. Yeah. Okay, let me look it up, 18, and um, we'll see what it says in Hebrew. All right, let me see if I got this. Okay. All right. So the the blameless spend their days under the Lord's care, and their inheritance will endure forever. Is that the verse we're talking about? Well, the Lord watches over the the lives of the whole heart, wholehearted. Is what it was in hmm. our reading today. You're sure it's it's uh, verse Psalm thirty-seven. Well, it might not 18. be exactly eighteen, but Ooh. it was the second set of verses we read today, which is 18 and 19. Okay, let me... Let me and it was right at the ahead. beginning, so... Huh. Let's see. The Lord knows the days... Okay. But the wicked... Hmm. In the time of evil... I Gosh, I'm having a hard time. Let me, let me find this. You know, now you've got me curious. You know, hold on. <laughs> you've got me curious. Let me see if I can... I know you it. get curious easy. I know it. The USCCB site. Oh, there's the waiting music. Hold on. Okay, the uh, mm -hmm. it's right at the beginning. Trust in the Lord and do good that you may dwell in the land. Okay, the Lord watches over the lives of the wholehearted. Okay, that one. okay. The the Lord watches over the lives uh, of the. Hmm. That is, I I, I'm looking here in the tra this translation. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. Okay, now we. I think that they're translating "blame" wholehearted as "blameless." Let us look at Hebrew okay. and see what it is. Okay, okay. <laughs> the Lord knows Yodea Hashem. Uh, it's the days of the of the upright. Uh, let's see. That word is an interesting word for upright. It means the the complete. Those who are sound. In other words, it isn't okay. it isn't like the just, but it's it's those who are upstanding. Mm -hmm. And let's see, I think that is actually the word tamim. Let me let me go back to where we were. Click on that little thing. Okay, the days of the tamim, uh, and their inheritance shall be forever. Yeah, the word is tamim. It means uh, it means those who are. It has to do, I think, with with sincerity. Uh, um, okay. Uh, yeah, Tamim. Let me let me let me look that up a little more thoroughly. Okay, um, you know, I think this I this is the stuff I think is fun. Okay, it it means the word literally means entire. Okay, okay. and so it it means without spot, undefiled, upright. Okay. So that's what the word means. Something that's mm -hmm. upstanding, yeah. and and that's why they would say wholehearted in that translation. Because they're complete, mm -hmm. they're they're in it with their whole mm -hmm. heart, and that's actually what Jesus meant when he said, "Blessed are the pure in heart, 
that that people mm-hmm. it just doesn't mean chastity though it includes that it means people who are are complete and and uh, um their heart is focused on the lord so there that interesting question thank you i learned something thank you very much well, there you go. have a good day god bless thank you all right let's go to Bye-bye. cindy from chicago illinois what can i do for you cindy Okay, um, two things before I ask my question, Father. Um, one is you may have suggested St. Jude for that man a oh, few calls ago. that's true. Yeah. Because, you know, hopeless causes, hope and strength in difficult times. That's true. St. Jude is a good go-to. And also he's patron right. saint of the police. Okay. Yeah. Secondly, I wish that Relevant Radio would have more of a presence for women because there are many, many men on that show who are hosting. Hmm. Um, and behind the scenes, the only one woman I think we have is trending with Timory, who is a young millennial. So really, there's nothing for middle-aged or older women. So just saying. And then thirdly, um, what is, you were talking about the 613, I yes, think, laws? Yes, 613 laws. Yeah. That's how Maimonides the, counted them. Yes. The similarity and the difference between the catechism of the Catholic Church. Well... We only have the Ten Commandments. The Catechism of the Catholic Church discusses those Ten Commandments from every angle, but they all come under the rubric of the Ten. We don't have to worry about whether or not we're eating pork or wearing garments that have cotton and wool in them. We don't have the Hukim, and we don't have the old liturgical laws. Uh, we have uh, liturgical practices, but those are established by, by uh, uh, you know, liturgical practices are established by the competent authorities in, in Rome, and the bishop is the person who's supposed to guard the liturgy. But there are lots of different forms of liturgy in the church, uh, not just not just one. Um, and, of course, these hukim, that, that's quite different. Uh, those are arbitrary. We don't believe that any of the dimensions of the Ten Commandments are arbitrary, you know. Thou uh, shalt not commit adultery. Well, what, what does that mean? And the catechism would define it. And the catechism has a lot about prayer. It has a lot about uh, uh, scripture. It, it's, it's, it's kind of a—it uh, can be almost considered a Bible study book. But the 613 laws of Moses were very precise. So that's, that's the best I can do for you. So I hope that helps a little bit, Cindy. Okay, let's go to John, who's in Central Valley in California. John, what can I do for you? Hey, good morning, Father. Thank you for your radio show. I really thoroughly enjoy it, and oh, I always enjoy your yeah. humble dose of humility that uh, you always dish out heavily every day. So I just worry that I may be wrong. St. James talks about that. A teacher has a double, a double judgment. That makes me nervous. But what can I do right. for you? I... We're listening to the book of Exodus in our uh, Exodus 90 uh, uh, program, and I've always wondered, you know, with all of the plagues that God sent through the uh, Egyptians, Egypt, uh, and Pharaoh, how did they record that in their history, or did they? Did they ever Very find it interesting. In, on the of the... Very interesting. No. Until recently, everyone said, no, they, they weren't recorded at all. I mean... Uh, Ancient world historians were the masters of spin. They, they, they didn't talk about their defeats. However, there is a, a priest, a, a pagan priest, uh, 
from the time before Christ, a few centuries before Christ, in Egypt called Manetho. And Manetho recorded uh, uh, these, these inscriptions that had come from earlier about this leprous people who had been expelled from Egypt. And it, it's really interesting when you look at this, that, that these people were leprous, and, 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 and so the Egyptians kicked them out. They were slaves, and they got kicked out. It really is kind of, it does kind of sound like it's the Exodus, but told from the point of view of the Egyptians. They didn't, they didn't leave. We threw them out, that kind of thing. And this is a guy named Manetho. If you look up Manetho and the Exodus, uh, you will you will see that. Let me let me let me do that for you, just to make sure I'm not making it up. Manetho and the Exodus. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Moses and Exodus according to the Egyptian priest Manetho. And uh, you just go click on that, and it'll you'll see lots of stuff on it. Uh, so yeah, it was it was there was one place where it was recorded in Egyptian history, and um, it's a totally diff- different um, uh, spin than uh, than than the the Israelites had and the Christians. So does that help a little bit? It does very much. So thank you very much, Father. M A N E T H O Manetho. Very interesting stuff. All right, let us I'll go. Look it up. It's, yeah, it's really interesting. I should. Maybe I'll get to talk about that at some point. Let's go to uh, Adrian in Oaklawn. Adrian, are you with us? Yes, I am. Father, um, my son told me that he heard or saw online or what, whatever that even people that are condemned to hell have a chance to still, you know, go to heaven for the beatific vision. Um, that doesn't sound right to me. And that's because it isn't right. We don't believe that. That once you have made a definitive decision, God mm-hmm. respects that. People are in hell. This is going to sound weird. People are in hell because they want to be there. A very interesting yeah. book uh, by C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, talks about that. Um, oh, I read that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a great book, isn't it? But that that talks about it. No, that that I I you know I've, I've actually you know I've met a lot of people who've had these beyond and back experiences, and I always say in my line of work, you get to meet a lot of people who died and lived to tell about it. And I've met people who said they went to hell, and uh, wasn't nice, uh, and they knew they were going to be there a long time. So uh, that idea of of you know, I think in, in Milton's poem, Paradise Lost, the, the devil, the fallen angel, says that he would rather reign in hell than bend the knee in heaven. So, in a way, right. it's something we choose. And and, um, and God respects well, our choice. The, uh, I guess the idea is, is that, you know, once they're there, they see what they've got themselves into and, you know, are that's, begging for a second chance. That's the I mean, whole that's point. the only way. They don't see what they've gotten themselves into. Oh. You know, they're enraged. And, you know, have you ever met someone who's ruined their own lives and they blame everyone else? Yes. And they get miserabler yes. and miserable blaming everyone else. I suspect that that's what hell is like. It just is misery yeah. uh, that that uh, it's not my fault, you know, that the idea of, you know, if if we confess our sins and I, that— you know, the sacrament of reconciliation is very important in this. 
But if we confess our sins, that is, we admit them, God is quick to forgive. But God allows us to cling to our sins if we want to. And people, you know, all that happens when we die, I suspect, is that time stops and we are who we are, as God said to Moses. And uh, um, if we have chosen hatred over love, then God respects our freedom and our choice. But, I mean, right. this is the only time in our life when we have time. So that's my yeah, suspicion. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, people, people who say, well, you can still get out of, you know, get a free get out of hell card. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, no. So uh, there was one early Christian oh, philosopher who said that, uh, Origen, who believed that in the end even the devil would be saved. And he was called a heretic. So I don't think we think that. Okay, thank you. Well, there. Does that help? Oh, yes, it does. Okay, well, good to talk to you. You know, I think we still have room for, for some some callers if you're hesitating. Uh, uh, yeah, we can, we'll, we can go to a letter, too. But uh, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Do call in and uh, do so quickly because we have a couple minutes left in the show before we go to Drew. Uh, let's see here. Oh yeah, I guess I'm gonna. He's gonna ask me something about that. Well, I almost feel like talking about it now. The, uh, the, um, uh, the Asbury revival. It's uh, it's interesting. I spoke about it a little yesterday, but uh, yeah, that's right. We had that caller calling. Yeah, yesterday we had a caller who, who was had, actually who there. Went to the revival. And yes, and no room to get inside. He said that they're moving it off campus, and I've heard that it's spreading to other other educational institutions. Which is kind of neat. I think that that is definitely neat. Okay, let me go to uh, a letter here, if I can pull it up. Okay, hmm. Ah, there it is. Okay. All right. I I think I I answered this one, but I want to say it again. This is from Anna Maria. We had a question regarding last Sunday's gospel. It seems that Jesus is saying we should not take oaths. What about an oath of office or an oath? Uh, to tell the truth uh, as a witness, uh, and even in marriage, um, isn't your vow kind of oath. What Jesus was talking about was what I was talking about earlier, that kind of, well, I made an oath that I will never give you anything, that it will be dedicated to the temple. Jesus said, don't do that kind of, uh, kind of uh, mental gymnastic to avoid something. And there was this elaborate... Uh, elaborate uh, sort of theology about oaths. If your oath involved God, you were bound by it. If your oath didn't involve God, you weren't bound by it. So if you swore by the temple, you weren't bound by that because the temple was built by Solomon. If you uh, swore by the gold of the temple, you were bound by that because God was involved in the dedication of that gold to God. Jesus was saying, that's just... That's, that's just nuts. Don't do it. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. He wasn't forbidding that kind of, uh, I swear that I'll tell the truth, so help me God. Uh, we're asking God to witness to the truth, whereas they were, in fact, asking God to witness to a non-truth. But speaking of truth, Drew is coming up.